All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today I am giving you my recap of day three of the 2021 draft class for the Atlanta Falcons, giving you the breakdown of the six players they selected in rounds four through six. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcfans.com, RIP, still going strong, however, on Twitter, at Falcfans, and of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode, of course, is brought to you by Bill Bar. Go to BillBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. And today's episode, guys, is going to be the day three recap, and I will go through the six players that the Falcons selected on day three. Darren Hall, cornerback from San Diego State. Drew Dahlman, the center from Stanford. Taquan Graham, the defensive lineman from Texas. Adetongbo Ogundeji, the edge rusher from Notre Dame. Avery Williams, the cornerback from Boise State, not Boston State. And... Frank Darby, the wide receiver from Arizona State. I got them all, right? You know, I'm, 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 I'm still barely functioning on lack of sleep over this weekend, but I'm still trying to do my best. So I, I was able to remember most of those guys off the top of my head. And uh, we'll get into all six of those guys, what I think they bring to the table. We'll talk about a, a couple of undrafted free agents uh, that have been reportedly signed on Saturday evening as well. And their chances, some prominent names there of making the roster. And then sort of, I'll put a button on my overall thoughts on this draft class. Obviously we'll get more into that on tomorrow's episode, recapping the entirety of the draft. And then in the coming days and weeks, we will be focused quite a bit on the draft. We'll get other outside opinions beyond mine. And I'm sure some of those opinions will be a lot more positive than necessarily mine. So we'll get, <laughs> we'll get, we'll get into why I am not as enthusiastic about this draft class later on. I, I'm not down on the draft class. I'm just not as enthusiastic as others. And, and maybe it's just pure uh, exhaustion and fatigue uh, from a long weekend. And it's just harder for me to drum up the endorphins, um, the dopamine or whatever it is that I need to be excited about this draft class. But without further ado, let's jump into, uh, let's go pick by pick. Let's start things off with cornerback Darren Hall, a 5'11", 188-pound corner out of San Diego State, ran a 4'4", 640, and a 94th percentile broad jab at his pro day. So he's definitely explosive. Obviously, if you listen to yesterday's episode, I interviewed his teammate, safety Tariq Thompson, who went undrafted and was signed by the Buffalo Bills. Congrats to Tariq. And I asked him about this secondary of San Diego State, um, which featured him, Darren Hall, and Dwayne Johnson Jr., not related to that other Dwayne Johnson that you know, but Dwayne Johnson Jr. also signed with the Falcons as an undrafted free agent, so the Falcons now have two San Diego State players. But I asked Tariq about that talented secondary and sort of who was the leader, and he said they were all leaders. Go listen to yesterday's episode to get Tariq's exact example, but he talked about Dwayne and Darren and, and how sort of competitive and tough and smart that they were. And I think Tariq's description, based off of the games I've watched of Darren, uh, it fits. Obviously, the San Diego State connection that Tariq mentioned on yesterday's episode 
is that Falcons defensive back coach John Hoke. His son, Kyle, is the defensive back coach at San Diego State. John's brother, Brady, is the head coach at San Diego State. So the Falcons certainly are very familiar with Hall. Uh, Hall is kind of an off-zone corner, but I think he does have decent man cover skills. And I think given his smaller side, he'll probably more most likely be a nickel guy, but I think he can come in, potentially challenge right away for a starting nickel spot where you have Isaiah Oliver and Kendall Sheffield. We kind of know that Fabian Monroe and A.J. Terrell are going to be the two outside starting corners. I talked about in the lead-up to the draft that the – if the Falcons wanted an outside corner, then they would have to draft that guy in round one or two because that's the way the premium is. But if they were just looking for someone to compete with Oliver and Sheffield as a nickel, they could wait till day three and Hall essentially hits that mark. Could you call this pick a reach? Maybe. You know, I think a lot of people were looking at Hall as more of a sixth, seventh round guy just because, you know, he doesn't necessarily have that high end upside to be an outside corner uh, in the NFL, a high level outside corner. But. You know, I still think he's a, a solid player that can contribute right away. I'm not necessarily convinced that he has super long-term upside as a high-end nickel corner. But then again, I didn't think that a Brian Poole, and in a lot of ways, Hall kind of reminded me of Brian Poole, maybe not quite as physical as Poole was, but probably a little bit more of a better athlete than Poole uh, was. And you, you go back to Poole's time in Atlanta, that first year in Atlanta in 2016, he had a good rookie season as an undrafted free agent. Then in the Super Bowl against Dami Amendola had some struggles. And then we basically spent the next two years looking for upgrades and replacements for Brian Poole, but we never were able to find a guy. Then in 2018, he has a slow start that season, but then finishes that season strong. The Falcons let him walk and he goes on to have two really solid years. The last two years in New York as one of the better nickel cornerbacks in the league. If you at least look at pro football focus grades, currently a free agent. So he's still out there looking for a job. But the point is that you look at a player like Poole and you say, oh, well, he's not that good, but he's still been basically a third corner, which is a, a starter in today's NFL because he's going to play 60, 70 percent of the snaps. He's been that guy for five plus years and been, for the most part, really solid in that role. So while I think Hall, you know, if, if Hall is only as good as Brian Poole, the point I'm trying to make is that's not a bad outcome. So let's talk about the Falcons' other fourth-round pick, and that's Drew Dolman, the center out of Stanford. He's an undersized center, 6'3", 299, has 10.5-inch hands, which is 94th percentile for offensive linemen. And he's pretty much 80, 80th percentile or higher across the board, across the other sort of pro-day metrics and whatnot. So I think Dolman definitely has a chance to come in here and compete with Matt Hennessy immediately for a starting center spot. I like Dolman. I saw him more as like a fifth-round guy. Um, but let's just say I have a higher opinion of him being able to contribute right away than I do of the Falcons third round pick in Michigan offensive tackle slash guard Jalen Mayfield. Like Hennessy, I think Dolman's biggest knock and biggest issue that he's going to have to overcome is he's a little light in the pants. He can get pushed around against bigger, powerful nose tackles that he's going to certainly see from time to time in the NFC, particularly in this division with Vita Vea. My word, he's it's going to be a problem, but I think Dolman is in prototypical outside zone center. You know, there are snaps where you see him shot out of a cannon, making those reach blocks, being that heat seeking missile at the second level, taking out linebackers. I think he has good technique, polished technique, good hands and whatnot. 
I think in a lot of ways, Dolman is probably a superior run blocker than Hennessy. I don't know if he's a superior pass blocker than Hennessy. Um, you know, but I would sit here and say like sitting here today, I would say there's maybe like a 30, 40% chance that Dolman could be the week one starter at center and beats out Hennessy. I would still give Hennessy the edge just because he has a little bit more experience, but I would say in overall talent levels, I don't think they're that different. Um, you know, other quick note on, on Drew Dolman is that his dad, Chris was a former Falcons assistant O-line coach from 2005 to 2006 under Jim Moore learned under Alex Gibbs when he was, uh, the Falcons O-line coach and consultant there. Chris Dolman also is a former NFL player. That was also a teammate of Dwayne Ledford in 1999 with the San Francisco 49ers. And of course, Dwayne Ledford is the Falcons current offensive line coach. So you have that sort of synergy. These are two picks and Hall and, and Dolman are clearly influenced by the Falcons uh, assistant coaches being like, I like this guy. I know this kid. I have, I know people that know him, that sort of thing. So we will continue and talk about the remaining four selections that the Falcons had on day three on today's episode, talking about the defensive players like Taquan Grant and, and Ade Ogundeji and Avery Williams. And of course the offensive superstar by the name of Frank Darby, as we continue today's locked on Falcons day three draft recap. But before we get there, guys, I want to let you guys know, that Nugenics is the number one selling free testosterone booster at GNC and it's offering a complimentary bottle to all football fans in America to get your complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total T text draft to 231231. This unique man boosting formula is powered by Testafin, which helps boost free testosterone and total testosterone levels and increases energy and lean muscle mass. If you're over 40 or like me approaching 40, don't let age get in the way. Get that edge back with Nugenics. Plus, if you text now, they'll include a bottle of Nugenics Thermo, their most powerful fat incinerator ever with key ingredients to help you get back into shape absolutely free. All you got to do is text DRAFT to 231231. That's DRAFT, D-R-A-F-T, to 231231. Message and data rates may apply. So BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing. You can track all the action on BetOnline. This weekend had tons of sports action on the go with the NFL draft and the first leg of the Triple Crown, the Kentucky Derby. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action. Check out the great sign-up bonuses and contest information at BetOnline. If you didn't make money betting on Trey Lance to be the third overall pick like me or you didn't bet on Medina spirit to win the Kentucky Derby. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game. Just head over to the website at betonline.ag. Use your mobile device to sign up today. Use the promo code locked on. You'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. That means if you deposit 200, you'll get a hundred dollars in free money to play with. That's with the promo code locked on at betonline.ag betonline, your online sports book experts. So looking at the Falcons, three fifth round picks in Taquan Graham, starting with Taquan Graham, the defensive lineman out of Texas. He's listed at 6'3", 292, 35 inch arms, which is 95th percentile for his position group. And another guy that tested really well all around athletically with similar to Dolman, which was 80th percentile or better across the board. Graham kind of fits in that three, four defensive end mode. He played five technique, three technique, one technique uh, across the D line at Texas. So has that sort of fit in the multiple style defense that the Falcons are saying that they're going to incorporate under Dean Pease. 
the player that he kind of was reminiscent to me of the former Falcon that I'm sure many of you guys recall is Malachi Goodman, who the Falcons selected in the fourth round in 2013. Uh, Goodman entered the NFL at 276 pounds at 36 inch arms. Uh, Graham definitely tested better than, than Goodman did. You recall Goodman had to sort of bulk up uh, to be the D end in the Falcons three, four that they wanted to implement in 2014. And then when Dan Quinn came in and was all about, you know, fast and speed, then Goodman had to lose weight and, you know, they tried to make him into a true edge and he never really stuck. So I don't think Graham's going to run into that problem because obviously this coaching staff should be able to stick around. So they're not going to necessarily have him, you know, pinging back and forth weight wise. So he can, if he needs to bulk up, then great. If he doesn't, then he'll be fine. I don't think he needs to bulk up. So, you know, I think Graham, despite his athleticism doesn't have a ton of upside, but I think his length allows him to stack and shed blockers and, and be an impactful run defender, hold the point of attack type of player. He does offer some potential as a pass rusher, but not enough where I think he's going to overcome being a back end rotational guy. That's going to give you comparable value to what we've seen from guys like Tyler Davison, Alan Bailey, Derek Shelby, Stephen Means in recent years, where this is a guy that can flash a couple of plays a game. He'll get a tackle for loss here, he'll get a pressure here or there, um, but isn't going to be a high-end producer, isn't going to be a high-end disruptor, and like those guys, is more ideally suited to be like the fifth, sixth, or seventh guy in like an eight-man rotation than necessarily one of your top four guys and a guy that you're going to count on week in and week out to be a high-impact starter. So... Let's move on to the other defensive lineman that the Falcons took in round five. That was Ade Takumbo Ogundeji out of Notre Dame, six foot five, 260 pounds, 35 and a quarter inch arms, which is 93rd percentile for edge rushers, has decent bursts, but didn't wow you with his athleticism that was shown off in his pro day testing. We're going to call him Ade, or we're going to call him Ogun from here on, uh, just because it's easier to say. Um, he's, you know, listed as an edge, but really. He's probably going to be more of a defensive lineman. I remember watching him last year when I was watching the two Notre Dame draft prospects a year ago in Khalid Kareem and Julian Okwara. And I remember him and Dalen Hayes. And I'm like, who are these other guys that are the backups to Kareem and Okwara that are also flashing on this Notre Dame film? And, and one of them was uh, uh, Ogun. And, you know, I think ultimately he's probably going to have to be bulked up similar to what, you know, Malachi Goodman. And he's probably going to have to get up in that 270, 275 pound range currently at 260 because he's his playing style is more closer to a five technique or base defensive end than a true edge rusher um the player that he's reminiscent to me of is Derek Shelby he's probably closer to what Derek Shelby was in Miami than necessarily what Shelby was in Atlanta but then Shelby came to Atlanta got in at like 285 290 range being a little bit more physical and I think that's kind of what you could see Ogun uh becoming you know, good run defender that can rush the passer a bit because he can use his length some at times to bull rush guys and use the long arm move. Um, he'll you'll see flashes from time to time based off of the film I've seen of hand usage and burst or whatever, um, but not enough to really think he's going to be a true edge rusher and really create pressure that way. So I think you're going to want to get him up to like 275, something like that, and let him be more of a five technique uh, stack and shed guy at the point of attack. You know, I think he does need to bulk up because one of the things I noticed is he's not, he doesn't necessarily have great core strength, great power, great uh, ability to anchor and whatnot. So he kind of 
will t- from time to time get pushed around a little bit. Um, and so I think he needs to get bigger in order to be able to generate more power. Occasionally you'll see him be able to generate some power as a bull rusher, but usually that comes against the really lower levels of competition or when he's lined up in a wider technique and sort of can really build up steam as opposed to really have that explosiveness off the ball to really generate power in that regard. So if you go to YouTube, you can watch some of his games on YouTube, his cutups on YouTube. If you watch the Duke game from this past year, you're going to see him dominate the Duke uh, offensive line. But then when you, if you watch him against more NFL caliber blockers like Clemson and, and Alabama, you know, Alex Leatherwood, who was a first round pick, basically shut him down. He looks fairly ordinary against those guys. So um, similar to Graham, I think he's more of a back end rotational guy, a guy that can be developed to be a solid run defender, but is not going to necessarily have that high end pass rush upside. Um, in the closeout round five, the Falcons selected uh, Avery Williams, the cornerback slash return specialist out of Boise State. He's 5'8", 187 pounds. He ran a 4.43. He did 19 bench reps, which is very high for a, a corner uh, in general, but is extremely high for a cornerback his size. Um, he's small. He's strong. He's a special teams maven. You know, his special teams resume, when I was looking at Dane Brugler's beast, draft guide, you know, I'll just read it off. 44 career starts at cornerback, four interceptions, 26 pass breakups, five forced fumbles, and four and a half tackles for loss on defense. So that's his defensive success. So that's a pretty good stat line. But two-time Mountain West Special Teams Player of the Year the past two years, five punt return touchdowns, three kick return touchdowns, one block field goal, one blocked extra point, three block punts, including one that was returned for a touchdown. In his career, he averaged 11.6 yards per punt return and 27.4 yards per kick return. So instantly he becomes the front runner for the Falcons vacancy at punt returner with Cordero Patterson being the kickoff returner. And I think it's going to be extraordinarily harder for guys like Chris Rowland and Greg Dorsch to make the team this year. Um, you guys know that I'm not a big fan of uh, drafting return specialist guys. Um, but from what little I've seen of Williams on defense, I'm not sure he's going to have a lot of upside there, you know, I don't like guys that are just return specialists and don't have upside to stick on the roster uh, with their ability on either offense or defense. And I don't know if Williams has great upside on defense to stick solely off of that. You know, I didn't see a ton of his games, um, but the, the initial games I saw, he didn't really stand out in coverage. I noticed looking at his stat sheet, you know, the past two years of production in coverage really fell off. Like all, you know, the, the four interceptions, 26 pass breakups. Most of that came in his first two years, the past two years combined, he had zero interceptions and only five pass breakups, uh, despite starting 21 games the past two years. So in the post draft press conference, Arthur Smith kind of half jokingly talked about maybe using him on offense. And I don't think that's crazy. He did play running back his senior year in high school, had over a thousand yards rushing entered Boise state as a walk on as a running back before moving to cornerback. Uh, so, you know, he's a guy that is going to be interesting to see where he fits in. He doesn't necessarily check the box in terms of a guy that would make uh, the roster if he didn't have special teams value. But I think unlike many, particularly the past guys that the Falcons have had that were drafted as return specialists, I do think he does offer some value as a special teams cover guy. Um, he can potentially compete and be a front runner for that role as the gunner opposite Cordero Patterson and potentially uh, winning out competitions with Olamide Zacchaeus and Kendall Sheffield, who I would assume would be the incumbents for the, the gunner roles on the punt coverage team. 
Uh, so even though he may not necessarily have a permanent role on offense or defense, he could have wind up having a permanent role on special teams as a killer cover guy on kickoffs and punts and whatnot. It could be similar in, in a way to Eric Weems or Antone Smith and guys that uh, legitimately can stay on the roster because of their special teams only abilities. And so that's kind of what I'm expecting him to be is, is kind of like a new version, a defensive equivalent of Eric Weems. Obviously I think because we don't necessarily have a clear cut starter at the nickel cornerback position, he'll have an opportunity to compete there, but I would not expect him to overtake guys like Darren Hall, Isaiah Oliver and Kendall Sheffield based off what I have seen so far. So in round six with the final pick of the draft, the Falcons took wide receiver Frank Darby out of Arizona. Arizona State. He's six foot two oh one, ran a four six one forty. I think he's faster than that on film. It's notable that when you look at his twenty yard split, you know, it was much better than his final forty indicated. So I'm guessing, you know, I don't have video access of, of the Arizona Pro Day, Arizona State Pro Day, but I'm guessing something happened at the end of his forty that caused him to not finish as strong as he should have uh, based off his speed. So I, I would say he's probably, he's probably like a four, five, four, five, five guy. So he's faster than four, six, one, but not like lightning fast or anything like that. But despite not necessarily having blazing speed, he is primarily utilized as a deep threat at Arizona state. They would often run him on go routes and just kind of throw it up to him. That's why he only had 67 career catches, but still averaged 19.7 yards per reception and had 13 touchdowns despite only having 67 catches. He had a career high 31 catches and eight touchdowns uh, his junior year in 2019 when he was playing opposite Brandon Ayuk. Um, Basically, you know, when he would get a step on the cornerback on a go route, they would just basically throw it up and, and more often than not, he would catch him. You know, I think as a receiver, his route tree looked limited in the games that I saw. You know, it was basically go routes. They would run some comebacks to him, occasional slant here and there. I saw some of his one-on-ones at the senior bowl. He kind of struggled to get separation and beat press at times. Um, I think he projects as a backup X wide receiver and anybody who knows, um, He's been a regular listener to this podcast over the last several months. I've been preaching for the Falcons to find that type of player behind Julio Jones, but he's going to need a lot of work in order to find a way to beat press because he's not going to just basically power through it and he's got to be able to learn some techniques to beat press, nor is he just going to run past corners, particularly starting corners in the NFL. So he's not necessarily the guy that I would expect is, you know, in a, in a reality where Julio Jones gets nicked up again this season and the Falcons are looking for a backup X. I don't think they're going to turn to Frank Darby and say, Oh yeah, you can do that job. But I think eventually that is kind of the role that you would like to grow him into as sort of an occasional um, backup wide receiver that can also contribute on special teams and, and coverage and whatnot. The one thing that did stand out watching him uh, was his blocking. I thought he really got after it as a blocker. So, you know, certain teams and, and Arthur Smith uh, may eventually be one of these coaches uh, right now. I don't know if the Falcons are built to be that, that sort of team and have that identity right now, but you know, certain coaches like uh, having physical wide receivers that will are willing blockers. I mean, that was a big reason what attracted the Falcons to Muhammad Sanu uh, when Kyle Shanahan was here. So obviously I don't know the Falcons are going to be a run first team right now, but I think eventually they could grow into that. And then you could see a, a player like Frank Darby be considered a little bit more valuable uh, despite, 
despite the fact that he may not be a high end wide receiver. But for me, I'm, I'm definitely happy that the Falcons actually drafted an outside wide receiver. This is literally the first time since 2007 that the Falcons used a non first round pick on an outside wide receiver. The, you know, that player I'm referring to in 2007 was Laurent Robinson, who was drafted in the third round. But, uh, you know, you look back at the Falcons drafted, you go all the way back to Michael Jenkins in 2004, every outside receiver that the Falcons have drafted has been a first rounder besides Laurent Robertson, Michael Jenkins, Roddy White, Julio, and Calvin Ridley. And now you have Darby. But now that we're living in a post Kyle Pitts world, in truth, the Falcons will should never have to draft a, or at least a, use a premium pick on a slot receiver ever again, because Kyle Pitts is essentially going to be their slot receiver for the foreseeable future. Um, and then, you know, also Kyle Pitts will probably be the backup X in, in a world where Julio Jones goes down this year. The Falcons will probably just say, Hey, Kyle Pitts, why don't you be the X wide receiver this week? Uh, while Julio has rests or whatever the case may be. So, uh, there are my thoughts on the Falcons, uh, six picks and we'll wrap up today's episode by getting my overall takeaways about this draft class. And we'll touch upon the two prominent undrafted free agents that the Falcons signed on Saturday as well. But before we get there, guys, since I'm wrapping up today's episode and putting a button on this draft, it's been a long weekend and sometimes it's been a tiresome re- weekend. And whenever I needed a quick boost of energy to power through that fifth and sixth round and that tape grinding, I turned to the best tasting protein bar on the market. Of course, I'm talking about Built Bar. Built Bars have 100% real chocolate in them. They all taste like candy bars. They come in great flavors like coconut almond, peanut butter, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, and of course, the coconut brownie chunk, the winner of the Built Bar March Madness bracket last month. Built Bars aren't just tasty, they're healthy too. They're low in sugar, low in calories, high in protein, high in fiber. You can try them today by heading over to BuiltBar.com using the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. So before we get into my final thoughts, I do want to point out the early reports on two notable undrafted free agents that the Falcons signed. That is Louisville running back Javian Hawkins and Arkansas quarterback Felipe Franks. You may remember him from his days as the Florida quarterback before he transferred to Arkansas last year. So obviously myself included, a lot of us expected the Falcons to draft a running back in the middle rounds. They didn't do that. They wound up getting uh, a player like Javian Hawkins who Dwayne Ledford, our O-line coach is very familiar with after spending the last two years at Louisville. Um, I expect Hawkins to probably be a practice squad guy. I certainly think he has a chance of making the roster, but because there isn't necessarily a rich history of sub 190 pound running backs being successful in the NFL, you know, that history is basically Tariq Cohen and Darren Sproles. And I don't think Hawkins is on those players levels as a college running back. So I do think Quadri Olison. Um, and Cordero Patterson would be the two top backups to Mike Davis at RB at RB two and RB three this year. Um, and Hawkins, if the Falcons decide to keep four running backs would be the front runner there, but probably more likely is more of a destined to a practice squad. If you listen to yesterday's episode, when we talked about the Falcons signing uh, quarterback, AJ McCarron, you heard me say that I expected the Falcons to try to target a quarterback in undrafted free agency to basically take over as the Kurt Bankert type 
type player as a QB three that they stash on the practice squad as a developmental guy, uh, developmental backup behind Matt Ryan and Felipe Franks presumably would be that guy. He's a big, strong armed guy, but still fairly raw. So not as a, not as polished, I think, as you would probably say a, a banker was uh, when we signed him back in 2018. Um, you know, both Fontenot and Arthur Smith talked about continuing to churn the roster and scour tap for additional talent. So I think quarterback and running back are two positions that you should keep your eyes on. Um, as we get closer to training camp or we get through training camp and, and watching the waiver wire as, uh, positions that I think the Falcons could continue to address. So overall, my final thoughts on this draft class, it's, it's an okay draft class. I really like the pitch in, in grant picks. Uh, I, I, you know, those guys feel like they're going to be impact players for years to come outside that. I'm not sure if the Falcons really got some impact guys. I think Dolman and Mayfield are decent additions to the offensive line. I think Dolman could certainly be a starter for us, but I wouldn't necessarily bet on him being a high end starter, similar to Hennessy. You know, he's a guy that's probably, I won't say at best, but probably destined to be an average, maybe above average starter. Uh, it, it, it was one of his more favorable outcomes at the center position. Mayfield is a project to me. And I, I personally don't see a, a particularly high ceiling as a starter. Even if you do develop him, you know, two, three years from now, I know people will point out how young he is. He's only 20, which is fair. Like, you know, he, most guys were talking about this. They're coming off their like sophomore year. And, because of that, like there's two more years of development that Mayfield's going to have to get. Now you can certainly make the argument that the two years of development he'll get in the NFL is going to be better than two years he'll get in college. But still that to me means, you know, tack that on to, um, you know, the development time that typically even college guys that are much more polished than Mayfield still take the better part of two or three years before they impact. I just think, you know, you're going to be definitely towards the end of Mayfield's rookie contract before you can really expect much out of him. Um, Hall, if he does turn into another Brian pool type of player, could be a solid contributor on defense. But again, I'm not necessarily convinced he's going to be a high end nickel corner. Graham and Ogun are, are two back end rotational guys that don't necessarily really move the needle in my opinion as pass rushers. So you're probably going to be in a similar boat as you have been with Deidre and Sonat these last three years, where there's a high probability that at some point in the next two or two or so years that you're going to bring in better players. that are going to be able to give you more value as three down players, as opposed to these two down guys. Uh, Williams, I certainly think can be an impact special teams guy and Darby is probably going to have to prove himself on special teams or else he'll probably struggle to make the roster at this point. So, you know, this class kind of is reminiscent to me of the typical Mike Smith draft classes that we brought in from 2008 to 2013 or so. Um, it's a bunch of high character guys. A, a lot of these guys were former team captains and such. Uh, there's definitely a sprinkle of more athletic upside with these guys, with the Dolmans, with the Grams, than you typically saw in a Mike Smith draft class. And, and certainly you see that with Pitts and, and Grant as well. Um, so, I, you know, I'm not saying it's a bad draft class. I just think it's kind of okay. You know, you got some decent, solid players that can certainly contribute, but it's not necessarily moving the needle for me. And really, nothing from a personnel standpoint overall this offseason, besides adding Pitts and Grant, has really moved the needle for me uh, from a, the Falcons getting significantly better from a talent standpoint. I think they made some incremental improvements at certain points, but nothing that's really sort of changing the landscape of this team's outlook for this upcoming season. You know, I think Pitts obviously offers the biggest jump in those things, but you know, rookie tight ends are notorious for not being high level players. And I think beyond 
Kyle Pitts, you know, it feels like for the most part, overall, you're bringing back roughly the same level of talent that you had on the roster um, in 2020 going into 2021. There's been some improvements, but not like substantial improvements. And this goes back to something I've talked about before where, you know, it, it just feels like you're betting on the coaching staff to fix all the problems. Arthur Smith and his new coaching staff are going to get a lot more out of the current talent than the previous coaching staff did, which, you know, again, I understand why people are optimistic that that's going to happen. And I'm not sitting here saying that, you know, you know, I'm skeptical of all things, but I'm not necessarily like super skeptical of that. I, you know, I would like to believe I'm optimistic that Arthur Smith can be a Kevin Stefanski, Matt LaFleur type of impact guy that can basically take inherit a team and basically get much more out of them than their predecessor is. But essentially, that's the bet that we're making at this point in time for this Falcon team. So, you know, part of the reason why I'm not necessarily thrilled with this draft class, you know, it, you know, if, if you're asking me what. I would give a letter grade in, in draft grades are silly, but like, I would probably say it's like a C plus or a B minus, you know, if Pitts winds up being like a hall of fame type of player, perennial all pro type of player, then maybe that moves it up from a B minus to a B. And if, if you can tack on, you know, Richie Grant being, you know, an, uh, a multi pro bowl type of safety, then that certainly moves it up to a B plus. But part of the reason why it seems like in that middle range to me is, Past research I've done looking back at draft classes after five years, the research I've done is roughly the number I recall being like 22% of guys five years into their careers are entrenched as quality starters that you would sit there and say, you know, are not going to be lose their jobs anytime soon as starters. And then nearly half of the players that are drafted are out of the league in five years, like roughly 40, 45% somewhere around there. So if you think the Falcons just have a quote unquote average draft class, which is that sort of C plus level, I guess we're talking about out of nine players, two of those guys would be starters. I think Pitts and Grant would be your best bets there for obvious reasons. And then, you know, if the rest, then you would have three low end starters, high end backup role players that are still in the league five years from now. Uh, if the Falcons follow suit on this sort of average trajectory. And again, my best bets in that department would probably be Darren Hall, Chris Dahlman, and probably Avery Williams. Uh, if he can carve out a, a, a niche as an ace on special teams coverage, because even if he is a, an effective punt returner like that's not necessarily a pathway to having long-term success in the NFL and, and sticking long-term in the in the NFL with one team because case in point look at Cordero Patterson arguably the greatest most productive kickoff returner in NFL history and the Falcons are about to be his fifth team across a nine-year NFL career right even the greatest even a quote-unquote hall of fame caliber kickoff returner is basically a journeyman in today's NFL. So that's part of the reason that fuels why I have been quote unquote anti drafting return specialists. It's just one of those things where you're just not going to get long-term value, at least like the sliver, the the 8% chance of you drafting another player at another position on offense or defense at that point in the draft, you know, that 8% chance of that guy being a long-term asset of, you know, that six round pick turning into an Antonio Brown or, you know, that fifth round pick turning into a Trent Cole is much worth more worthwhile than drafting a return specialist. Cause even if you get a hall of famer like Cordero Patterson arguably is, you know, he's not going to, he's not going to last beyond his rookie contract. Um, so 
that's part of the reason why if I'm not enthusiastic about this draft class, it's not negativity. It's just like a lack of enthusiasm. Um, but like for me, a lot of it is like when, when I did this research like seven, eight years ago and found this out about like the, the relatively low hit rate of draft picks, it changed how I evaluated players. And that's part of the reason why I, I know I get a reputation for being a lot more negative on players because now instead of just assuming everybody's going to be successful. I know that like almost 80% of guys are, are not going to be starters. And, and certainly like 95% of guys that are draft picks are not going to be stars. Like it's only like 5% of guys that are perennial pro bowl type of star players, one out of 20 roughly. And so it changed how I evaluated players. And so now I'm looking at the guys, you know, if, if 78% of draft picks are going to be backups or out of league in five years, what makes a guy special that he's going to be in that 80th percentile and that 90th 90th percentile of players that is actually going to be the Jonathan Babineau, the Deion Joneses, the Julio Joneses, the Matt Ryans. And so it changed how I evaluate it. And I'm looking for those special, unique qualities. And, and those can manifest in a variety of ways. But that's part of the reason why you often hear me being much lower on draft picks and, and the Falcons draft picks and those guys' upside and their ceilings and whatnot. That's why I do so much of the floor eye level and ceiling talk of this evaluation, because most of those guys are not going to get beyond their eye level. Most of those guys, and frankly, aren't going to get beyond their floors. So, you know, obviously I'm going to continue to watch more games of these nine players that the Falcons drafted. Um, you know, I, most of these opinions that you've heard over the last couple of days on the podcast have been based off of watching only a handful of games, particularly the day three guys, maybe two, three games, maybe four guys for four games for one or, or, or more of these guys. And I'll try to watch more, you know, at a minimum, I'm going to try to watch four games. If I have the opportunity to watch only four games, I'll watch four, but I try to watch like six to eight games at least for all of these guys. And so I'm only like halfway there or a quarter away there for a lot of these prospects for guys like Pitts and Grant. I'm going to at least try to watch all of their 2020 games before we do the scouting reports later this month on the lockdown Falcons podcast. So, you know, my opinions could certainly change. I could grow to like some of these guys more than I do currently. I could grow to like them less than I do currently with more exposure. So we'll see. But in the end, for me, it's kind of a fairly average draft class and that's fine. Right. You know, I'm not just, the, I'm not the type of person that's going to just praise it for the sake of praising it just because I'm a fan or I'm a homer or whatever the case may be. It's fine. Like I think Pitts and Grants are studs. If Pitts is an all pro and Grant is basically Micah Hyde, that's really two outstanding, you know, first picks in the draft. And then basically between Mayfield Hall and Dolman, if just one of those guys is a capable mid-level starter, like in the case of Hall, just, if he's only as good as Brian Poole or in the case of Mayfield or Dolman, if they're only as good as Joe Hawley, um, then, you know, guess what? We've come out better than your average NFL team out of this draft class. So time's going to tell on that. And there you guys have it on today's draft uh, recap. We'll have more to talk about on tomorrow's episode. Uh, I'll certainly have watched more film on that. Maybe get some outside opinions for tomorrow's episode. Um, but if you missed out on any of the great draft coverage from the lockdown podcast network over the last few days. Of course, you can check out the locked on today podcast, the locked on NFL podcast, locked on NFL draft podcast, the draft dudes podcast. You can check out the great college shows, daily college shows to find out more insights. Cause I know those guys are going to be talking about all the various players from their respective schools and conferences got that got drafted as well. And if you go to the locked on NFL YouTube page, you can find all the local locked on experts reactions to the, 
if not all of the picks, most of the picks uh, this weekend. So definitely check that out uh, as you get multiple multiple playlists of all of those reactions. So you can basically, you know, in an hour or so, listen to all those things and bang out a reaction to almost every draft pick, which is probably better coverage and certainly more cohesive coverage than you'll get from anywhere else. Um, uh, than on the locked on NFL YouTube page. So go subscribe to it and, and make sure you hit that bell, uh, at the top or whatever. So there you guys have it. If you want to provide your feedback to anything I've talked about on today's episode, anything I've talked about on previous episodes or anything you want me to talk about on future episodes, of course you can hit me up on Twitter at Lockdown Falcons on Facebook at Lockdown Falcons, or you can send an email to Lockdown Falcons at mail.com. Appreciate it guys. I hope you had a great weekend till then.